0: Talking about stuff, talking about things, talking about you, talking about me, it's not a whole country, and we are celebrating, it is Canberra, 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 Canberra. Conversations in the Capital. Hello, my name is Henry. Welcome to Canberra, Conversations in the Capital. Today, inside the Birkonen Tennis Club, I'm joined by Dr. Kim Hyun, host of Sunday Brunch on ABC Radio Canberra. Arriving in the city as a Vietnamese refugee, Kim has grown with Canberra, making a name for himself in the nation's capital over these last few years. A radio presenter, author, and university academic, Kim is a jack-of-all-trades. His engagement with Canberra continues, showcasing and shaping the town which has raised him. It's his love for this city and the connection to its people that has made Kim cherished within this community, someone I'm proud to know and happy to be with here today. Good morning, Kim. How are you
1: going? Ah, hello, Henry. You're to you.
0: We're at the Belconn Tennis Club. Sport is a very big thing for you, sport, fitness, lifestyle. I've seen you around the city doing many kinds of sports. We've just played tennis. I caught you out running one time when I was taking my dog to the dog park. I know you cycle as well. Tell me about where that
1: health and fitness fits in your life. My brother's very fit too. Mm. My brother's far fitter than me, actually. My sister-in-law is amazing. And my parents are very... Uh, exercise every day. They're Mm. very methodical. Their exercise, we, they got it off us to an extent, but there is something about us almost dying as both people. Mm. And it's a statement that, that we would be sick for so long, that we'd be so close to death. Mm. And, and now look at us. We can almost, right, almost indefatigable. Like the muscles (laughs) will give out before my heart gives out. And I'd say even more so with my, uh, close family. Mm. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So, so it, it is a big deal for me. You're Vietnamese refugees, your family. You came here when you were two
0: years old. And when you were younger, you worked at a bakery here in Canberra as you were growing up. Speak about that childhood to me, if you can.
1: <laughs> the toilet's flushing, but I can't. That's, uh, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's excellent background noise to talk about my past and my future. There's the toilet flushing at uh, Belcon and Tennis Club. I don't even know if anyone's in there anyway. I don't think anyone's in there. Um, uh, keep things clean at Belcon Tennis yeah, Club and Hygienic. But I think... Uh, what was the question again? <laughs> to <get> the <laughs> toilet put me off. Put me off, Henry. It was to do with... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, was... uh, tell me about
0: what, what, what memories do you have of your childhood coming to Canberra uh, and, and growing up in the yeah, city yeah. as refugees?
1: Uh, we came when I was two. Uh, we came straight here and most people... Uh, Of that era, that was 1979, most Indo-Chinese refugees probably stay here for a bit, Mm -hmm. uh, but move on to Sydney and Melbourne where they might have relatives or a much bigger Vietnamese community. We've stayed the whole time,
0: Mm.
1: I think in part because my parents, um, and I've spent a long time talking to them, listening to them, studying them actually, Mm. that um, they were always loners. They were displaced and had huge responsibilities and were separate from people even in Vietnam. Mm. other than their family. So when they came here, it wasn't like that they they were seeking <laughs> to be alone, but that's just sort of worked out for them, you know? So we never moved to to where there were more um, Vietnamese Australians. And so it was a somewhat isolated childhood. We always stood out a bit, my brother and I. But that's sort of the way I've liked it. Use um, a sporting analogy. I have something of an affection for goalkeepers. Okay. I don't really... I don't really play soccer. My, my son plays. I always have a kick. Their goalkeepers are sort of separate and at the part of the team at the same time. They trade against the team. They have a certain weight upon their shoulders. They have a, a tragic look, outlook on life that, you know, you only remembered when you lose. You know, you don't remember the same so much, but. Uh, the ones that you let through so I have a great affection for goalkeepers that's sort of my life I'm incredibly a part of the Canberra uh, I love it to death I'm very parochial but at the same time just always a little different because mm. of the way we grew up and I think it's sort of changed my outlook too is if you grow up as someone this is all sorts of minorities and people don't quite fit in if you grow up and you don't really fit in then you're always looking around trying to read people or read people sometimes mm. to be safe or sometimes You get a sense of judgment from being an outsider, I think, Mm. that that if you do it for long enough, it will stay with you and hopefully uh, you can find some value and meaning in it. So that was my childhood, I think, and it's um, pretty much nothing's changed. That's (laughs) what I do. I watch people, I help people, and I like listening to people, you know, that's it.
0: That, That search to understand the human condition continues.
1: Yeah. How much do you remember about that bakery you worked in? Was this a family thing? Yeah, it was a family thing. I worked in there for like 15 years. So I worked in different bakeries, but particularly right near here, Jamison and Florey. Mm-hmm. I worked there from about, I was 12. I really remember even riding there. I started exercising riding there. I used to get swooped by magpies, sometimes three times on the way there. And used then you to. know you'll get three times on the way back. They're going to get you again. So it wasn't, there's a lot of pain. And there were days when i got a bit older too was probably that middle teen period it wouldn't surprise anyone was most difficult Mm. but still i'm a mornings person Mm. i really liked when it's busy i like the smell of things will never leave me my parents their english is good but they're working so hard that's what i really know about that period my dad was worked at the act electricity authority (Actu) uh while we had the bakeries for quite a few years Mm. and it was just i really am Talking about like unbelievable work ethic from three four in the morning he had his had insomnia from the traumas he suffered too mm. so I don't know how little he slept is just incredible and you know to run a small business well, we had partners of course too but he did all the books he open up close up work in between seven days a week you know really 14 15 16 hours a day seven days a week yeah, for years yeah. that's just incredible I, I remember that and why wouldn't you want to help out and we did everything we can. It made me too. It made me, it means that you can get stuff done, you can do administrative things, you make stuff happen, advertising I'm okay with, all of that yeah. comes from being a small business person.
0: A lot of experience would have come through in those years.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and still, I'm of a small business mindset. I work for large organizations, but I think anyone would agree I'm a little bit distance from. Sort of management everyday yeah. humdrum of those organizations. The, the wonderful thing about them is I can freelance a bit and maintain that sense of independence, autonomy that I'm so used to and cherish as a small business kid, you know? Absolutely. I always say to my son that, that I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher above all, all else. I know you appreciate that <laughs> even more than me, uh, Henry. I've been at the ANU since I was 18 I was an undergraduate there too so I don't care to think I've been there I have to do the maths a little I don't I've gave up accounting a long time ago so that's that's like that's 20 26 27 years yeah. I've been at the ANU it's not like I was pursuing an academic career either I wanted to write a book about my parents September 11 happened I was uh, teaching and studying international relations so there was suddenly a rush with that so it wasn't I was greatly pursuing an academic career but uh, what I've always held on to and I've found most precious and valuable about my time there is uh, the capacity to teach. Mm. I haven't done al- always done it well. In fact, someone wanted to interview me uh, from my class about a project she was doing on on teaching atrocities from refugee policy. <laughs> I never thought I was teaching that. And I said do, do you mean my <laughs> So I was like, do you mean my atrocious teaching? Do you want to ask me about my atrocious teaching? But I was a little bit tongue in cheek. It might be atrocious for many. Many students like would find it atrocious. But uh but it's not because I'm not trying. I'm always trying, I find that's the most valuable thing uh that I can offer. You know, I think there are lots of powerful people in the world and I don't I don't really designed to be any anything like them or to be powerful but 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 really teaching you have a sustained and meaningful influence if you do it well on a large number of people so uh, if you're into making a difference I can't think of a, a much better profession mm. so so that's really what it's out for me uh, research I do some stuff on refugee politics I'm about to finish a book on the stop the boats era mm-hmm but it, it is all about teaching, and as I said, I hope my my students realise that even if they th- think I'm I'm, I'm disagreeable, I'd say disagreeable, because I'm always no. prodding people. I'm not I'm not necessarily a nice teacher, uh, and this, I'm always prodding people. I always, and that involves even making a little fun of them. But they come back at me all the time, and I'm really proud to say, like the best one of the best things about teaching, you know, too, is you get to see people do things that you could never do, and you've influenced some of that. And I've done it so long now. Just the range of students who, who just do the most amazing things. And the ones that I'm, I'm close to over the years, I'm proud to say, aren't necessarily the achievement machines. Almost none of them are actually. <laughs> Almost none of them are. They're people of substance, people who know how to do it hard, people who make something out of nothing. You know, I'm, I'm still close to a handful of students mm. and, and uh, and they've taught me. That really, I know that sounds a, a bit twee, a bit, you know, a bit sickeningly sweet or something, but they've taught me far more than I could ever teach them, I reckon.
0: I, I, I think the real atrocity is... The fact that you consider your teaching to be such an atrocity, because I think <laughs> I, I I think you're I think you're being very humble about. it. I think your teaching style is one that suits people first, and these days that's something that's so incredibly important.
1: It does, but I just say, yeah, there are there. It's I, like a goalkeeper. I think of the mistakes. <laughs> I think of the ones that I've led through and the mistakes that I've made. But that makes you better, doesn't yeah, it?
0: Yeah, for sure. You mentioned uh, how you were writing a book about your parents. In 2001 and how you're currently finishing up a book right now you have a nice catalogue of written published material fiction nonfiction all of that do you have a favorite text that you've written that you remember really fondly on
1: and uh. why well, I should say, this is not to, by any means, I'm not prolific, right? Hmm. Because the, the current one I'm finishing is a short book. It's only like 40,000 words. It's five years overdue. <laughs> Don't even talk about how long it's taken me from go to woe. It's five years overdue. The I'm was, not the exaggerating. like, what's going on, The only, so every, every, and I'm going to make it this time, but like all I tell the publisher is that don't worry, it'll make, and then I just put dollar signs, then I just put these dollar signs and somehow she's (laughs) kept going with me. But um, I I mean, the the book, the only book I ever wanted to write was the one about my parents, Where the Sea Takes Us. It's a huge privilege to be able to, like I didn't know it. I couldn't speak Vietnamese really back then. It was part of my PhD, Mm. turned it into a book it took years to like it's hardly a big seller but it means everything to me but actually oddly enough um the the editor from harper collins who i was really friendly with so this is from 2005 you know mm. she happened to be in town and i hadn't seen her for well over a decade and she we had uh, coffee the other day and she said mm. what a meaningful book it, meaningful book it was for her and she does lots of big books like mm-hmm. she does the john howard book and everything but and, and she was being honest you know she's not she's not like a lot in the industry she's really honest and she knows how meaningful it was to me and to her, it was meaningful and it's an incredible opportunity to just figure out who you are not many especially someone who's a bit lost and, and a bit detached from their history like me but anyone to be in one's 20s and be able to spend years figuring out who your parents are and where you're from it's just, that that's the foundation for me that's that's just incredible um I've got massively into poetry in hmm. in, the, in a piss week sense, really in a piss <laughs> sense because I don't I don't have any training in it. Uh, we've interviewed heaps of poets on on Sunday brunch, and I have no scholarly knowledge of poetry. You're here like
0: oh yes, haiku's three five three. Yeah, no <laughs> idea. I didn't know.
1: I have no idea even about hokku haiku. I don't know how many lines are in a sonnet. I know these things exist, you know, but i, I found so much. Uh, space and, and solitude and solace over the last couple of, years. It's a cliche now. It's been mm. a couple of difficult years in listening to poetry mm. uh, and reading a, a bit too. And I've, I've, and this is why I, I'm a bugger. So, so, oh, so I figure. Well, let's add a poem and a poem podcast to every week of of the students' material this week <laughs> in the class. So, so they have to put up with it too. And, and I say the same thing. This is what it's done for me. I know a lot of you is, are suffering or you're looking to extend yourself and find more passion and creativity in your work. Here's a chance. I've written a poem too. I've written a poem too. Aww. This is, we're coming into essay season. Yeah. And I've said, look, I've given it a shot too. I've put it at the front of that refugee book and it's about, it's about everything I know about refugee politics over, really over 20 years now. Mm. In, in four questions, it's called, um, what if you had ended up face down in the sand? Mm. And, and the first answer is, what if you had ended up face down in the sand after I told you, that we were going on a real adventure and convinced your mother that there was no other way. So it's a poem about, Mm. and it evokes Alan Kurdi, that two-year-old Syrian boy who was found face down in the sand. Mm. Uh, But we evoke also that that I was two when we left Mm -hmm. uh, Vietnam, and I think of my son too. It's a crap poem in many ways because it's hard to figure out what's going on and who the reader is and trying to cram too much in there. But I'm having a go, you know. Oh, that's, that's think, I'm having a go. I think that was beautiful.
0: I yeah. think, I think a lot of poetry is left for the
1: reader to discover,
0: and you've certainly done that. Kim.
1: Yeah. So there you, yeah, I appreciate that. So mm-hmm. you've got the big book at the start and the little poem at the end, but there's a connection between the two. Mm-hmm.
0: If I were to say you were known for something the most out of all the things you do in the city, I would say it would be hosting Sunday brunch on ABC radio these last few years. How did you get involved with the ABC? Tell me the history. Tell me the origins. <laughs> how do we get to this point?
1: Basically, I, I was talent, as they say, which is a a, a little term that I've never been comfortable with. Mm. That, that you call people you interview talent, I, I find it. You're
0: talented, Kim.
1: <laughs> no, no, it's not that there's anything talent about it, but it's just a bit show businessy for me, you know. Sure. I've always um, I always uh, just pause before I use that term, but I can't help it now. Uh, but I used to do a. A breakfast segment it was only about th- it really was about three minutes three to five minutes on society and culture mm. and I used to prepare massively I was gonna say like, this is coming in scholar. I'm sending these huge notes and now I see academics do this and I'm like oh that's so <laughs> oh, no. not pro as if we have time to read that mate but then you have to pretend like you do you know so I was doing that and that was a great preparing ground in some ways. Mm. And then I, I ran in the ACT election in 2016 and the, they asked me to see if I wanted to try to do some radio. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for something different and something new to do. And also I felt most of all, I felt like I knew the ACT well enough because mm. you learn a lot uh, in local politics and running, especially yeah, as sure. an independent. You sort of have to do everything. So I said, Oh, yep, yeah, I'll give this a go. It was really difficult. I've got to say, I can't. I can't tell you how difficult it was because I was on every couple of weeks. I didn't have time to do much else. Mm. Um, to do much more than that, and that's very uh, unconventional. Usually, you'd just jump in the deep end and you'd sink or swim, but you'd you hopefully swim. Yeah. But to to do a show every couple of weeks, and I think I think the ABC overestimated how outgoing I was, and how <laughs> I'm not really that outgoing. You know, I'm actually. Mm. Quite private and 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 I'm introspective, you know. Not necessarily. Mm. I, I basically, sure. I, we were saying before, I'll basically just fill in whatever roles required. I think that comes from being that refugee blank slate too. Mm. Like in any social circumstance, professional circumstance, I don't particularly have a set role or anything like that or a set of skills. I'll probably just see what's needed and read people, and and do it. In any case. I don't think they read me that well. I don't know if I read the job that well because it's so hard. It's so hard. And to do so many mistakes, soon as that red light goes on, you know, a podcast or live radio, that red light goes on, you're on air, press record. It is another world, man. It is another world. And I just – I was awful. I was awful. I had no idea what's going on, no idea of the culture, no idea of the terminology like academia you work at a very slow speed and that's a probably a good thing for academia you know it's considered in radio you do a live radio is just a beast uh, yeah. that you're writing and you're writing you're feeding and you're feeding like, like we do 10 stories a, a day it'd take me 20 years to do that in <laughs> academia so i was just making it's it's still so, got this book going on it's still exactly, it's exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah exactly <laughs> It was really hard, really mm. hard, but I, I was, I like the challenge. I'm quite proud of myself that I kept going, mm. but I kept going. I'm not totally sure why, to be <laughs> honest, but, uh, but they had faith in me at the ABC. They gave me a different role as a, um, as a package maker. And mm. I was crap at that too, <laughs> because I had no idea either. I taught myself that, but they just said, look, he's not going to produce a bit for a while. Just let him go. <laughs> and that, that's really what's, how it's worked out that they've let me go do my own thing sunday brunch is really a wtf show (laughs) um and and we've made it that way claire morto mortensen and i have just filled it with all sorts of wacky goodness uh from canberra like your podcast in many ways Mm. and and that's how it's worked out but uh, i've got to say respect to the radio people I, i i love it i feel like it's it's the highest order in terms of that sort of work because it's so spontaneous, because you have to mm. think so fast, uh, because you're you, you're so creative and connected to community. There's bad sides too. I've often thought about writing anthropological study mm. of the newsroom, but uh, that'd just be uh, <laughs> then I'd be well, you know, you get you in trouble, wouldn't it? it'd get you? get in trouble. But overall, I, I really uh, do appreciate the opportunity, and it never it never escapes me that that it's a huge honor to be in. Remember, this is the ABC too. Whatever you think of the ABC, w- when things go down, bushfires, floods, uh, smoke, yeah. uh, COVID, where where it's at, you know? Mm. So that responsibility never escapes me. But mostly, and I've reflected upon this recently and, and realized why I'm so nervy about it still and, and why I've got to calm down a bit. With my radio and back off a bit i'm in the process of going one week on one week off mm. not just to just have a personal life on the weekend but in part because a lot of our people who come on they've never been on the radio before you know i wrote a book about my parents my ordinary parents where the sea takes us and often i think I- i'm doing a where the sea takes us for this person they might be an artist who's done an exhibition on their eczema mm. or it might be a blind skateboarder it might be some um people who work in um Uh, work for the human rights of of people who are taking drugs and have Mm. had a history of drugs themselves they'll never be on the radio again so I feel that weight I feel that that pressure and that honor of of taking on their stories you know Mm. so it's it's a huge deal for me
0: you've just brought up a few different examples which I assume are interviews you've had in the past give me some of the really memorable ones Go, yeah. go, go, oh. go into a bit more detail <laughs> with them. Where do we start? Where do I we start?
1: Really, it's the carers. The carers. I did a series on carers and the people they care for. And that's the one now I care for. My daddy I had another stroke last September. But, but that is just world changing for me. Those carers. There's about two, there's millions of carers. I've forgotten. I think it's four million or something. There's, hmm. there's millions of carers in Australia. They're stressed to the max. They're strong as hell, hmm. right? They get paid nothing. They're often suffering health issues themselves. There'd be something wrong with you if you don't. So, but and they're so busy. Even organising is quite difficult because they're so busy. And and what I really got out of that series was two things. I, I really appreciated that we we empowered the people who are being cared for too. It was often there were dialogues mm. of people who uh, a, a guy with cerebral palsy, an older brother interviewing his younger brother, his carer. Just ask questions of what's it like to be my brother. That's cool. You know, uh, and and particularly though. The series of of, of women—they're all older women who care for their husbands with dementia. Mm. Often over years and years, one woman, um, Deidre Shields, won't mind me saying, unbelievable, abusive husband. He'd come back from Vietnam War. Been together since they were teenagers. He got a type of of dementia that that made him ultra violent. Mm. And and he she cared for him for a decade, and then he tried to strangle her. Wow. And and then. But he, he'd been abusive and controlling. So she, he, she didn't have anyone else in her life either had to represent him and pay for his solicitor uh, when he was charged with trying to kill her. And then he just passed away. And she, and you can, you can see where I'm getting at, Henry. Imagine if she says to you, I'll tell my story to you. Hmm. What sort of honor and what sort of amazing experience and pressure is that incredible? I'll, I'll tell my story to you. Yeah. So, so um, they're the ones, the Carey series. Mm.
0: You mentioned your own family. You mentioned looking after your father after... After his stroke last year, you are now, and do correct me if I'm wrong here, a second generation Vietnamese Australian.
1: Yeah, I think I'm probably 1.7, 7 1.8, because I was born in Vietnam. But That's yeah, it.
0: Yeah. Uh, you are now here looking after the family that brought you here, whilst also raising the next generation in this country, in this city. Speak to me about... What all of that means to you? What family and what maintaining culture means to you in this in this
1: town? Um, there's a lot going on there for me. Uh, I, I teach political philosophy right now. We, and we teach about it's a class called political belief and deceit, hmm. and uh, it's uh, essays being re- Released today, exam question oh. being released today. Actually, oh, and, and there is, there's just, there's, there's not, there's plenty of questions, but there's one question that's just two words and three dots. I believe dot dot dot. Hmm. I believe dot dot dot. And and I think that's really mostly the course is about philosophers who ultimately believe that there's nothing. Sure. There's no guide to your moral decision making. There's no foundation, whether it be based in reason or physics or anything else to our existence there's absolutely nothing so what guides right and wrong Mm. Uh, what do you believe in so what an incredible question to be able to play with at any stage in your life and really if if you and your listeners think about it how strongly can you say uh, how many of us really say i believe in something i Mm. believe in this yeah uh, and I believe in my family. That's what uh, I believe in my family. And it's not necessarily because I think they're the best family in the world or you could measure them to say that uh, they're the most giving or courageous or anything like that. Uh, but I believe in them because of how much they've invested in me, how much I've invested in them. There's a logic about it too, though. You know, it's not like um, if I care for my dad and there's some things you have to do cleaning him or whatever else, it's not like he didn't do it for me. Mm. And it's not like I don't say to my son, "Hey, you've got to do that for me someday too, mate." <laughs> so there's a, there's a certain amount of logic about it, and but I wouldn't, but fundamentally, I, I wouldn't say that I'm wedded to some Confucian ethic or anything like that. I just really believe in my family. I, I love them like crazy, you know, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, um, that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. So if you were to and it's a question I've asked everyone this season. If you were to give a pitch either for Canberra or a pitch for Canberrans, what might be something you'd throw that way? Um,
1: this is unlikely, but I don't think it's fanciful. Mm-hmm. But I reckon we should have a president, but purely a ceremonial president. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's political problems and I don't, I think, it's just logistical problems with ministers but particularly the chief minister currently chief minister's treasurer too just having too much they don't want to cut ribbons they i'm pretty mm. sure they don't want to they might have to feel like they want to do it you know <laughs> um because they have to show their face Big scissors. but yeah. it it's not it's not actually there's probably not the best thing for them to do to do a lot of ceremonial stuff so so why not have someone whose role is to uh, a president whose role is to cut ribbons to do great speeches, mm. right? I, I wouldn't think you'd have to pay them much. You could say it's ceremonial and just have an honorarium or why not Why not peg their salary to the average salary of Canberrans? Sure. So yeah. you know that they're city lovers and honor lovers of Canberra, right? So that person, maybe two people, I'd love to have an artist do it. I even have someone in mind, Louise Ellery, <laughs> uh, who's a Paralympian filmmaker and actor, mm. someone like that to do that job uh, unite Canberrans, lift our spirits, uh, and 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 take a little bit of the jobs that politicians don't want to do and probably shouldn't do because it just exacerbates mm. their their power in some ways. Um, and yeah, so that that's my sense. We need a, a we'd be really good, cheap, meaningful. Have a president of Canberra.
0: That's a really that's a really cool idea. You thrown you thrown my way, Kim, and also just the title. I think it's cool to be. Yeah, you know i the present, of the city. You know, like, here's yeah, my key. Yeah.
1: Look at it. My... I reckon it makes sense. Really, yeah, I reckon no, it makes sure, sense. Yeah. No one listens to me anyway, so I don't <laughs> even care. But, um, but I really, I really like the idea of that, and I really would suggest an artist should do it.
0: I really like that idea as well. That's that's really cool. Let's talk future. What is what is on the cards for? Uh, end of this year, knowing this is coming out in like September, October, let's say 2023. What's on the cards for Kim Hyun 2023?
1: I really don't think that far. I haven't so thought sorry. that far. <laughs> I haven't thought that far at all. I'm really... I I am. I really am living the dream. Like those three things that I talked about at the start, the health, uh, the family and the work are just fabulous. You know, mm. I'm never short of, of meaning in my life. It's just too much. Yeah. It's just too much. So I'm really... Uh, and I'm struggling to do this. I know it's necessary, but I'm really looking forward to having a break. It's unlikely. I, I don't have a good track record on having a break to be honest, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I would. I think I, I, I need to force it somehow. Mm. So really, I'm just looking forward to having some um, quiet time and reading some poetry and spending time with my family. I couldn't ask for more.
0: I hope that that happens for you at least once at some point in the year 2023. <laughs> Kim. Uh, thanks Henry <laughs> And finally the floor is yours my friend Is there anything you'd like to say to those listening To this podcast I-,
1: I say this In a considered way Absolutely earnestly and honestly I am so sick of hearing My own voice I have nothing to <laughs> say To you nothing else to say To you This is, this is Kim's retirement from, <laughs>
0: from Talking about his life <laughs> The grand finale is, is now.
1: <laughs> well, if I say something, then uh, it's a bit contradictory, isn't it? So but so I won't say anything. That's it.
0: That's fair enough. No, that's, that is fair enough. Kim, this has been a wonderful chat. Thank you so much for being oh, a part of this. It's been a buzz it's, buzz for me. Thanks, it's Henry. has been amazing, Kim. Thank you. Folks, my name is Henry, and from the Belconnen Tennis Club, this has been Canberra, Conversations in the Capital. Stay safe, be kind, and we'll see you all soon. in this country in this city speak to me about what speak to me about what
1: family this is this is is that beeping it's this, a, this, a, this, this has tra- come tra- back to Belco whoever tra- is dude. beeping <laughs> on Belcott Way it's not that bad but I realized when I started playing here as a kid people used to beep, beep all the time at us and swear at us <laughs> as we were playing tennis as they drove past Belcott Way I don't mind it. So I'll just say if anyone's listening, you're driving past Bill Cotton Way, you're seeing, and you think you want to shake your fist, you think, you think it's a class thing, and all awful people playing tennis it's not really like that at Belconnen it's incredibly diverse it's a wonderful set of people socioeconomically economically diverse ethnically diverse uh, but beep anyway or beep anyway because it's quite just honk just a honk, honk, uh, honk if, you, if you if you love or hate tennis because uh, we'll just keep playing and we lo- and it's easy sort of uh, there has been a pickup. I've noticed in honking at us while we're playing tennis now. I thought, oh, what happened? I used to think what happened to us? People were getting too civil, but the hate's back. The The hate's hate's back. back Thanks very much, everyone. And I don't mind it at all.
0: (laughs) At least people care. At least people care. I suppose. I
1: don't
0: know. We're going to try this question again.